What, what was that you were just saying about, about uh, David Lee Roth? David Lee Roth, yeah. He just he keeps calling me. I just, I'm, <laughs> yeah. It's, Dave, I'm busy. You say he's got his own show? Yeah, he, he's, um, uh, uh, David Lee Roth has uh, started a, uh, he's, he's had a podcast and looks like he left it go for a while and uh, he released a new one, I think last week, which I listened to and it's, it's long. And uh, I was listening to another guy kind of, not trashing it, but just going off on, on, on the fact that he had, that he meanders a lot. I mean, if you've, if you've seen David Lee Roth speak for more than 8.2 seconds, you know that he goes tangent crazy, just off in different areas. However, a lot of this stuff seems to be sound bites that he's formulated, that he's put, you know, written down and used again and again and again. And so he'll run off in tangents and he'll go off on these little, these little, these little Daves, these little, just little uh, sparks that he, that, that he seems to run on, but they're, they're, they're not. And again, it, you know, it's like, uh, like true Van Halen, you know, it's an acquired taste. You know, you, you, you know, you, you're not listening to Van Halen for, operatic vocals you're listening you know for it's party band and they're they're extremely extremely flamboyant and his that's the way his podcast is it's i i recommend it because i i like the i like the uh squirrel the <laughs> the two every two seconds you yeah. know you, you you're taking off on on a journey but the stories are are incredible and his mind, the stuff that that guy has retained, mm-hmm. he is a, he means just an absolute treasure trove of in- information, you know, the trivial stuff, but you know, and then, but he, his, his everyday life is, is extremely interesting to me because he's, he's one of these guys. He's not a material guy. He's a, he's an experienced guy. He's, you know, he wants to go and do his stuff. And, uh, you know, if, if, if he wants to go and study, you know, martial arts, he's going to go and immerse himself in that and so on and so forth. But yeah, I highly recommend his podcast and very, very, and, I, and I've, again, I've never, I have to go back to, to episode one of what, when we did this, Chad said, let's do a podcast. I said, Chad, nobody, nobody <laughs> wants to hear a podcast. I certainly don't want to hear a podcast. And, um, and then of course I had to eat those words when I heard, uh, Joe Rogan, we, we were traveling, I forget just some insane distance and, um, Mike put on the Joe Rogan thing, and that was yeah. extremely interesting. And yeah, so our friend Julio, whom we know from our beloved Ashford Pub, which we're going to be playing there this Saturday, actually. Julio asks, "What are our favorite things and biggest pains about recording in the studio?" So you've been well, soliciting questions. Is that what you're trying to tell us? What you've been soliciting questions? I have been soliciting questions. Good yeah. God. Okay. So he wants to know what. Yeah, what are what are our favorite things and biggest pains about being in the studio? Oh God! Well, I know personally the the studio is wonderful. It's just it's absolutely. Um, I I think back in the day, you know, it, it it must have been hell not to have the the tricks and the tools and the gear that that we have now because everybody we've recorded with, we've really really enjoyed working with them. And we've really enjoyed the 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 comfort of the studio. I mean, because you know, it's just it, it, it's uh, it's nice to be able to go in there and absolutely just completely cock it up and then come back and fix it. And you know, and even getting your you know he, hearing back, you know, t- taking your work home, listening to it, go, no, we gotta we gotta change this. This is you know, you know, it's a much better way to do this. So it, it, just being able to go in there 
and get the sound that you want and get the, you know, which is a, it's a whole can of worms that our, our first record, only record really. <clears throat> we, we started recording standards, uh, with, uh, with a friend of mine and it was a home studio and, uh, it turned out to be just a disaster. It was, it was five, 10 minutes of, of work, uh, you know, you know, preceded by hours of setup and then we'd start to work and the guy was like, oh, guys, I'm tired. And it just, <laughs> it, it, you know, it just, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a it wasn't a, you know, like it was a home studio. So it was, the intentions were hundred percent, just top of the line. Everything was, yeah. but it was just not, uh, it, it, it was his first attempt and our first attempt and mm-hmm. it just wasn't where it, it wasn't working. So we were trying at that time to get the CD out by Paddy's day. So all these hours and a studio, you know, shards of, <laughs> of, you know, uh, of, of time that we, that we actually got to put stuff down. We, we, we just, we wasted a ton of time. So at the end in a mad rush to get it, to get it finished, we took it to Joe Omelchuk over at RBI Studios in the Heights here in Houston, Texas, y'all. And um, and Joe really surgically put back together what we had essentially, and our intentions were good too. I mean, we really, we tried to, to, to really, you know, to put the best work we could put down. And, and he had to imagine, you know, somebody give you a, you know, a big bowl of spaghetti that had been, you know, I mean, and, and somebody left it sit out in the sun and been festering and bubbling and just did. Joe had to take the, this, you know, the single strands of pasta and, <laughs> and, and, and detangle and clean up. And it was, it really was, it was just, and that's probably a really, really sweet, clean, nice, shiny analogy. I mean, it was, it was worse than that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Joe, I remember when he, when he pulled up, we had to go through this. He gave me really detailed instructions of, of how to, recover what we'd done the files with this other studio and uh, bring it over to him. So I, I went to uh, our friend who recorded the first sessions and these were all just basic tracks. So I had to go get these files. I put them all on my laptop. This all my Fujitsu windows laptop that I had at the time brought that over. And then uh, Joe plugged directly into it to get all the files off of it. And when he started pulling them up on his screen and his system, he was just horrified at what he saw because <laughs> nothing was really leveled properly. And somehow he made it, all that stuff sound good. Um, I couldn't even explain to you what it was that he did, but you can ask him yourself. You can go to Rudyard's. He still runs sound at Rudyard's. Yeah. Uh, the best, one of the best sound guys in when the world. He's, when he's not at the Astros games, he's yeah. been to every, <laughs> he's been to every Astros game. I think, I don't think he's missed a, a Houston baseball Astros baseball game in God knows how long, but um, anyway. yeah, he, so he did a great job and that record, I can't listen to it. Uh, don't listen to it simply because of the, the, the cut and paste style, you know, things that we did on there. And uh, it, it's just, it again, it, well, you know, to, to be perfectly honest, I haven't listened to to, yeah. one, to one of our podcasts or one of our, I don't like listening to, <laughs> but, uh, um, but again, I remember, uh, so all the vocals were done at Joe's studio and all the fiddle was done at Joe's studio and Tori did an amazing job. Yeah. Um, just you know, we we were performing you know a lot of these songs, but we redid them kind of on the fly in the studio because we wanted to we wanted to put an extra extra shine on these songs, shine, present them a little differently on the record. So so recording at uh, RBI Studios here in Houston, we kind of discovered that we liked 
you know, being in the studio and putting these, putting these things down and redoing them and the group vocals and the, mm-hmm. the, the, there, the, there is a, there is a, a camaraderie that you build in, in the, in the studio versus on stage on stage, you know, you're, you're responsible for your show, your, you know, your intonation, your rhythm, your stage presence, your interaction uh, in studio, you really only have to concentrate on what you're doing and, you know, but you, you but you have to kind of keep an ear out for, cause you know, there's just, there's a, there's, there, there's, there's a, there's a terrifying aspect of it, which is, you know, this, you know, this, what you, what you let go yeah. is going to be forever, you know? Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you have to kind of have to put that out of your mind as best you can. I mean, not completely, <laughs> obviously, cause you do want to do a good job, but you can't be thinking, sitting there thinking about, okay, how many, however many thousands of people are going to be listening to this in the future, and once this is out there, we can't change well, how it. Many, yeah, how many tens of people? <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I used to get the first few times we were in the studio. It was it was immensely uh, uh, nerve wracking um, because it is not only is it thinking about that, you know, just the fact that you're putting, you're trying to create something permanent. The whole environment of being in the studio is, is, is very different from what uh, we're used to in on stage or even just in rehearsal. It's cause it's, it's kind of like, imagine like a painter, like trying to paint in a really narrow space because you have to, you've got these headphones on, you're not listening to the room and this, uh, like not listening to the sound in the room. You've got to, you've got, it's all right in your ears uh, by necessity. Cause that's just the way it works. Uh, you're often playing with a click track, which uh, we don't usually do. <laughs> On stage, anyway, we have the good thing is now that we've we've uh, we're all pretty accustomed to playing with a click. Back then, we well, were click not. track. Also, remember a, a click thing. track is a, is a metronome. Yes. that we're listening to on stage. Well, yeah. actually, the drummer listens to it. Just to clarify, click right. track is a metronome, so it's it's, it's keeping time in in yeah. the, in the earbuds in the drummer's head. Yeah. So he's he's you know keeping the song at that. Right. Uh, okay, uh, keep in mind too our our songs are very spastic in that sometimes they go from fast to slow, slow to fast and waltz to, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 the rhythms change and we put a lot of different stuff in there, a lot of stops and we beeline off in different directions. And mm-hmm. so, so it's difficult to put a click track on this stuff, you know? Yeah. And that was one of the things that was weird about the first, not only were we just not accustomed to hearing it. Cause I, back when I was in my earlier bands or studio sessions I had with the change when I was much younger, I hated the click. <laughs> we all did because we just, we just used, we had no, like I talked about this in one of the last shows that I used to have absolutely no sense of how much I was speeding up and slowing down depending on how nervous I was. But we all did that back then. And when we got in the studio and tried to play it at click, it was just a disaster. <laughs> we just had no idea. We had no experience with it. But within the chain, I mean, I'm sorry, in, in Blackguards, it was even more of an issue because, like he Patrick was just saying, we, we have songs that deliberately speed up and slow down different things. Bog songs in particular is one song where there's at least three different speeds that we play on. I think there's the intro and then there's, and there's a second part and the third part. And then we go back to the intro at the end. And then the heavy parts, you know, we, we slowed that down again again now. So yeah, it's changed over the years back then we're playing it a little faster than we do now, but we, we didn't, we really shouldn't have done that in a click, I think. So we did it in bits, like four different sections, I think we recorded and then edited together later. Yeah. And, and because of the time crunch, we had to push the, push the stuff together quickly. So there's not that to me, it's, it's not a, it's not a surgically, um, you know, conjoined or, you know, uh, you know, it's not perfectly aligned. So 
it it's it just feels like you just like just backed an eighteen wheeler up to <laughs> to another back eighteen wheeler. So, yeah, that's one. You know, yeah. it's, it's it's really it's the cracks are very 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 visible. But um, just b- before I forget too, because these all seem like very very uh very very pleasant things in the studio, most of them. But the uh it but to also to go to the stuff that that the stuff in the studio that I hate is uh I ca- I can't stand the the setup the process of miking everything getting levels getting headset that stuff is tedious to me if you've ever seen a setup which i hope you haven't but it's it's we we have it down to i think our record is like 20 21 minutes getting all the gear into um into a club wiring it up setting it and playing it we've had uh um i think it's about 20 minutes and that's actually it's that's a lot that's a four-piece band sound checked you know load the gear in line it up uh, plug it in, get levels, and start playing. So twenty minutes from start to finish is pretty pretty fast. And but usually it takes us about forty minutes. Yeah, ideally I mean, you kind of want to yeah take your time leveling and all. Yeah, stuff. and 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 if you know if all four of us are you know working quickly, we can be up and running and sound checked and have a decent sound check within forty forty five minutes. Yeah, the studio is completely different. The the and and I will say this. I will say. Uh, uh, you know the gear has improved tremendously since we've since we recorded standards, and we're working now with um, our friend Paul Beebe at BB Gun Studios here in Midtown Houston, and uh, his uh, setup time is actually a lot less. You know, so that's a that's a huge um, that's a that's a huge pain that's been lifted uh, because uh, and, and of course. We, um, Joe as well. Uh, Joe Omelchuk has been, uh, you know, amazing at, at, you know, his stuff. But Paul's, you know, he's got, uh, you know, it's, you know, we got more gear, faster gear. Uh, everything seems to be digital, and uh, you know, if, if that's what you're going for. And uh, so Paul's setup time is 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 really 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 quick. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so that part, uh, the, you know, that that pain has been alleviated now since since the, it's you know faster to yeah. get up and running. Well, I, I found myself too. Maybe it's just a, a matter of just getting used to it because we have had a, a couple of sessions in the recent years um, where, after a really long period of not, not being in the studio at all, because we did we did the a session at Four Eyes out in Beaumont, which are those the rough tracks of those sessions are on our Patreon, by the way, if you want to check that stuff out. But that was a good experience. But then also we did we did we recorded Kerfuffleful uh, before that uh, back at Joe's Joe Melchuk's uh, studio. That was for the movie, that yeah. blockbuster movie. And then just in ourselves, we've had a lot of rehearsals where we've we've played on a click all together and Mike has played on a click on stage. So when we went in to do this session with with Paul uh, a couple months ago, it went so so much more smoothly than, than any other session I think we've had because we are much better at staying <laughs> not you know, keep keeping it in, in the in the pocket, basically. So that that was one of the things that made it easy. Uh, but Paul definitely just kind of set the stage for us, and just you know, and Paul's known us a long time too. That that kind of helped us kind of relax uh, in that environment. But a, a click is a funny thing too because it's not it's an industry standard now, but back like in the '60s and '70s, it really wasn't. And I'm I'm not really down on the whole history of when when that became an industry thing. But it used to, and then it's like in the '60s, I mean, nobody there there was no such thing as a click. I mean, you really just kind of had to keep time on your own you had to make sure that's why they use sesame musicians so often back then because those people knew how to keep time um 
So, and and, and sometimes sometimes you just can't. Uh, depends on how much fluctuation you, is intended to be there. But the the purpose of the click is to prevent you from unintentionally speeding up and slowing down in a way that would would uh, so, you know make the song less effective or uh, less groovy. Um, and also, it makes it easier for you to do overdubs uh, down the line if that's what you want to do. But there was one track on standards that we didn't use to click on, uh, which was Irish Rover, which I think was. But I think it was the last thing we did the basic tracks on. Yeah. And by that point, we were so sick of using the click that we were like, let's just do it without it. Just come on. Yeah. And it wound up, for me, I think it's the best sounding track on the record because it just sounds like sounds like us. Yeah. It didn't, didn't sound kind of tense or anything, which this is just me. You know, most people, I'm sure, listen to that record cannot even hear the stuff that we're describing. And I hope, I hope that we're not ruining it for you by going into detail. But anyway. Yeah, the, so you know, so the studio is a completely, you know, it's it's its own animal, and we are we're definitely we're excited about being back in there. Uh, Chad also mentioned Four Eyes Studio out in Beaumont. Um, uh, Ryan Johnson out there, incredible engineer. Yeah, and we actually first time we worked with a keyboard too. You know, he um, he heard something on Spansel and he said, nah, "I hear a keyboard," and I was like. Yeah, I can hear that. That's the first time I ever thought about it. And he brought this guy, guy and Dave, David Young, I think. David, yes, yeah. yes. Uh, and uh, he came in, and he was just. I heard it that they were thrown off by the by the 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 time signature. Not that it's a weird time signature, but the way that the song the song versus the lyrics are phrased, it's a strange time signature. I heard the song since I was a baby, so I've I was. Uh, it, it didn't, it didn't, it hadn't thrown me, but it threw me watching them trying to figure out where the chords would change. But he came in and he actually put down, I think, three different um, uh, takes that we could choose from. So yeah, so it was, it was, uh, it was strange hearing a, you know, a country boy from, from, mm-hmm. from uh, Beaumont come in and just, and it was really, it was, it, it was, it was eye opening. And, and yeah. again, studio, uh, studio musicians and uh, this guy David Young just just, just really uh, sharp, really sharp. You know, uh, he plays in a country band out there, but he's he's a he's he's a he's no stranger to rock. He his uh, you know uh, ability to come in and hear something for the first time and have the chord changes kind of throw him, but still be able to give you uh, you know a few different feels. That that to me is is amazing. I I, I wouldn't want to spend that much time with that song, <laughs> but he, uh, he did, uh, he did a good, you know, he did a really, really good job on, on, um, yeah. And again, it wasn't anything that was featured in there. However, that, uh, made me think, uh, about my, uh, our, our, you know, our good friend, Patrick Brennan, having him come in and put some keyboards in on this, this record, because he's another one of those guys that can just, it's just a chameleon as far as, uh, music styles go. Mm-hmm. Just whatever you're, whatever you're in the mood for, and whatever you're you're uh, playing, he can he can just just slide in there and just gee, he just looks like part of the furniture in that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I'm really and looking forward to hearing this yeah. too. <laughs> Which we, yeah, we still haven't done it, but we, uh, um, yeah, yeah, that was that was really fun that particular session because we were just kind of we didn't really give you know we kind of just let Ryan, uh, uh, Ryan kind of. He said, "What about it?" He called it a pad layer. He said, "What, what about getting somebody in here to play keys? Uh, you know, like I don't know, some kind of Hammond organ or something like that." We're like, "Yeah, fine." 
you know, and we had no specific ideas of how, you know, so Brian kind of, that was the only time in that session that he was really quote unquote producing, uh, because he was giving David, uh, the keyboardist, uh, really specific instructions of how to not, not every single note he was playing, but give really giving him some really interesting directions on how to, uh, play the best part on that. It was, but, it was really fun to watch that. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a really fun thing about a studio where the, where the, where the engineer is worth his salt, you know, when he's, um, not just not just in there, just pushing buttons and making sure that it levels are right. That's a that's that's easy. No, it's not easy. I mean, but it, that's easy for a, a sound engineer, for a, a studio engineer. However, a a really good studio engineer will be able to put a uh, put put their stamp on it, put their their colors, their flavor on it. Because um, uh, Paul Beebe did the same thing. I did an acoustic version of a song, and he has this old. It's not a pump organ, but it's a little, it's a tiny little box organ, but you, you have to pump it to say, but he had, uh, he had said, well, well yeah, I'm kind of hearing that. And he played it for me and said, yeah, stick it on there. That sounded really, really good. So he's, uh, uh, he's another one of those guys that not only is he a multi-instrumentalist and, um, you know, he's, he's actually played with us before and he's, uh, he's, we, we've known him for years, but, uh, he's just one of those, those, those people, just these, these, these musical minds that just spread, you know, they're just, they're, they're just, uh, they just fill up so many, so many different genres. You know, it's, it's, it, it's incredible to, to watch that, you know, and to hear that and to be part of that. That's really, it's really, you know, I, I hope, you know, that everybody finds that in the studio because it's just, yeah, it's invaluable to your yeah, it really craft. Is. That's, I mean, at that point, then you, you get to discover the joy of building something, um, which you get that in rehearsal too, but it's a wholly different thing when you're, when you've laid down the track and then you say, okay, now, now we can start overdubbing. Let's put a harmony here. Let's add a little touch there, a little touch there. And you really start learning about arrangement. I think at that point, I, I myself, when I first started multi-tracking stuff at home with, um, uh, the first, uh, four track multi-track, uh, recorder I bought back in the early nineties, um, a little Tascam four track. That's how, that's really how I learned how to harmonize was by just experimenting and, trying to see how I could figure out how these harmonies were built. Cause you'd lay down one track and you harmonize with yourself and you can add a third and a fourth and bump it down and add, add four more. Um, one of the first things I did back then was uh, record a very sloppy cover of paperback writer by the Beatles, which has some really complex harmonies on it. And so just by, by trial and error, uh, I I managed to f- figure out the approximate <laughs> harmonies that are in that song, but stuff like that can be really educational. You also that's that's when you learn too that oh I you know that's when you you start figuring out that a click is really really useful because if you've laid down a basic track and all of a sudden you're speeding up and later when you're trying to overdub on it you you start hearing that stuff really really quickly. Um, but if you have a click, it just it kind of makes it second nature. So what he's talking about is a, on a click on a, excuse me on a four track is a four track is a cassette tape. Um, you've probably seen one in your grandparents' attic, but they're uh, it's just a, the, the so on a, on a four track recorder means that you can re- record four things and then layer them like then after your your or you know you record one track and put another one on it and one another one on so you can actually put you know different instruments and voices and such on your cassette tape which was just mind-boggling for for uh 
for us at that age when they came out. Because I, 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 I had one, never used it. Oh, it was, a, but, it was an absolute thrill to start using that stuff back then. Um, I don't have my task cam anymore, but I, I want to go, because I still have all my old tapes, and I want to go back and, and make some of those things down and preserve those recordings, because a lot of that stuff is really fun. Uh, but yeah, I mentioned bumping down. When you had, when this is how it used to work back in the 60s, too, because the Beatles, they started off on a two track, but they had, they had these huge reel to reel machines. And the, the earliest ones were like two track, and then they moved to four track. And like Sgt. Pepper was actually recorded on four track. But when I say bumping down, it just means you fill up three tracks, and then you mix those three tracks down to one track. And then you, then you have the other three to, available again. And that's, that's kind of how it worked on the four track. And so the, the thing was, you'd, you'd, you'd have to really be careful when you're bumping down because that's the mix you're going to be stuck with for the rest of the project. But um, uh, these days, that sort of thing isn't necessary anymore because everything's digital. And so you really almost have unlimited tracks. It really depends on how much memory the computer is that you're running on. But generally these days, it's not even uh, uh, an issue. Not only that, but you can save every single take that you recorded like if you sing a vocal and you're like, well, that's pretty good. Let's get another one. And they'll go back and it's not even an, um, another track. It's just all in one track, different takes. And you can just click between. And then in, in mixing, you can select one or the other, bounce back and forth between, you know, assemble a whole take from, from like maybe four different, you know, how, however many versions of the song that you sung. So it's crazy, but that's what you need a good engineer for to keep track of all that stuff. Because it can very, it can quickly get kind of overwhelming, and you'd also don't want to overdo it too. You got to learn because you, you, a lot of people, <laughs> there is such a thing as overproduction, and you've got to kind of be careful about not. I, I think anyway, you know, don't add too much to it because at some point you're kind of getting away from what the band really sounds like. But um, yeah, it's uh, and that's one thing we haven't really had the opportunity to. That's a mistake we haven't had the luxury of making yet because we haven't really. We usually have, at least with standards, we had a very limited amount of time that we that we yeah. gave ourselves anyway. Yeah, we kind of rushed ourselves through that project unnecessarily. But even so, I mean, studio time is expensive, and you don't, you know, unless you're the Beatles, you don't really have the budget to sit there for for months. <laughs> and, yeah, and, and overdub the crap like, out of everything. Bands like the Police wrote in the studio. Yeah. So the first time Stuart Copeland heard "Walking on the Moon" or whatever, I mean, he, you know, was when they were recording it, mm -hmm. and, and and so when you hear that stuff. The, the, I, I think, and this again, this is only my personal opinion. I think that's, that's incredibly exciting for it to, to, or, and, but you can hear that in the songs. I can hear that in his playing. I, I've, I've, I've only, you know, just in videos that I've watched of Stuart Copeland playing his energy. He's another one. And I, I kind of, uh, I, I kind of see he and David Lee Roth being very similar in book read and street smart and, just very, very funny and very extremely energetic. However, Stuart Copeland's childlike energy on the drums is, I, I can hear that in his playing when I listen to a live re, you know, record or see them on a video or whatever, or listen to the studio recordings of, of some of that stuff. Just, just, it's just an amazing, and I forget what I was saying, but if, you know, if your drummer is crap, you know, pack it in. Your 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 band is mm -hmm. just that. That's just you know that, and that's that's another studio thing. Because if you go in there with a with a, because I I remember as a kid thinking that ACDC was crap because Phil Rudd was so basic, <laughs> and then as soon as I start you know started playing music, 
is when I when it dawned on me is I got that guy is a genius. He just plays what the song needs and he gives mm-hmm. you that rock bottom foundation that you need to build, you know, a good rock song. I I, I can't listen to much ACDC. It's it's they are phenomenal and and I just I loved all their stuff, but it's the same, you know, that like we like we're talking about recording now um with Paul over at BB Gun Studios and this record is not going to sound any, it's, it's not going to be a standards too. It's just, I'm, it's, I'm hesitant to, to, to play some of this stuff because it's so different. And uh, uh, a friend of ours, Rick Gillis <laughs> called up and he goes, he goes, man, he goes, I don't know if you need that stout Irish rock tag tagline. He goes, you guys are a rock band. <laughs> <laughs> and I first, I, yeah, yeah, I went, wait a minute. He's got something. I mean, it's, you know, cause it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, we're, 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 we're playing rock and roll. So we had, we had a, uh, the, the studio pushes you. The studio kind of tells you where you're, you know, if, if you're listening, it tells you where you're going. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, it's really revealing. That's a, that's a really good question, Julio. I'm, uh, I, <laughs> it's endless. It's yeah. absolutely endless. I just, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, uh, we will be back at Paul's place, uh, very soon. Uh, we already had four tracks down. Um, but this, I mean, and again, <laughs> this, this just tells you how 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 uh, what a great job Paul does. I mean, he got us set up really quickly, and we were, just felt right at home. We went in there that day, really only thinking we might get two songs at most. We wound up tracking four, <laughs> getting the basic tracks down for four. Basic tracks meaning uh, bass, guitar, and drums. I've since gone back and in and put some vocals down. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So there's there's the, the God. It's just it's endless. Yeah. Yeah, the studio is a it's a completely different thing from playing live and uh, we play enough live shows to know what we want to we want to sound like. So, and uh and Paul luckily Paul knows us enough to that brings us to that brings me to another point about playing with blackguards is very strange in that if when you go into a studio or you playing in a live venue where the sound guy or the engineer or somebody doesn't know you. The first thing they think of when they see a um, a band with a fiddle, they're going to think, I, I don't know what they think. They think, oh, those poor guys, they can't afford a guitar player. <laughs> um, they they immediately I go to put the fiddle up to 10 and put the, you know, put the band, you know, and, and, and this is actually a rock band. So this is actually, you know, think of a guitar, bass and drums and the fiddle. It's not a... Uh, I, I just I can't tell you the amount of times the sound guys have ta- you know recorded the show and we heard it back and it's just you know which it, it's absolutely fine because you know we've we've been lucky we've played with good fiddle players and um, but, but again our sound is a, you know it's a rock band plain and simple and it, but it's it, it's the 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 preconceived sound or band that your your that your sound guy the people that you're working with you know what they think versus what you do and then and then when you play for them it's it's just it's that's that's why we're so lucky to have paul in our corner because he's seen us yeah. a million times we played with beetle a, min, you know, a million times he's played with us before on bass right. and, um you know he's just just you know yeah yeah and that was that was kind of interesting too with thinking back to ryan and beaumont at four eyes who had never heard us play <laughs> uh what a great job he did of just kind of Standing back and yeah. just kind of letting, watching us and letting us kind of show him yeah. what, what we're doing. And I will tell you this too, as well. If you're a sound guy or you're working in a studio, 
Ryan had done his homework in that he had watched some videos. That's true. Yes. Because we walked in and he goes, ah, yeah, because I've never heard that before. And, and what we like to do is we don't want to be, and with with all respect to Flog and Molly and Pogues and all that, those bands, they're, they are absolutely wonderful in what they do. However, we're not a tribute cover, you know, but we do our thing. And um, I will say another guy, um, uh, we were in Austin one time and I just thought it was the nicest thing for him to say was, uh, um, is the guitar player for Gaelic Storm, Steve Twigger. Came up to where we were playing at Fido, that um, that place that closed in, in Austin, um, that's saving us about 10,000 miles a year. Uh, he came up and he said, you know, he said, he said, I just love that you guys, blackguards, do your thing. You don't, you don't taper or bend or blend or, you know, you just stay doing what you're doing. And he said, it just, I, I find that sort of, because they play a bunch of festivals with these uh, other bands and we just, we, we just do our thing. And, and it was, it was just really nice for them to say, A, because, you know, they are uh, arguably the biggest festival band in the, in the country right now. But it was just a, uh, it's just really nice, you know, versus the, Musician with his arms folded, going, "Yeah, you guys are pretty good." <laughs> that was a, just a, a genuine, uh, a genuine thing to say, and it was, a, yeah, yeah. It was always always a thrill to to see him at at Fido. Yeah, it just made me think too. Of the, we never talked to him, but uh, Ian Ian uh, McLagan used to drink at Fido too, and he 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 was there uh, in the audience uh, several times. I remember. I, I wish I had gotten an opportunity to talk to him. He's since um, uh, very sadly passed away. Ian McLaughlin was the keyboardist for Small Faces uh, in the '60s, and later went on to play with tons of people, including Billy Bragg. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, whole, but, whole other tangent. But yeah, just you know, the 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 a lot of times when we go to the sh- to the shows, we did a festival in Kima recently, and the sound guy had looked us up, and so so that that's the nice part about it. A good sound guy will do his homework and research who's coming in, and it's it's gonna make their job a whole lot easier too if you come in and you have a you know. Uh, we've seen it before. We've seen the nine, ten piece band, and the sound guy doesn't know he's you know they're, they're going to have their work cut out for them. Yeah, you know, yeah. Joe Amelchuk, who whom we've worked with twice now on standards and on uh, Kerfuffle, is also a live sound engineer. Um, that's what he spends most of his time doing, I think. But and Joe, if you've ever seen him work, he is to me like the epitome of what a good sound guy is. That he's just laser focused on the show and uh he doesn't just set the levels and 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 go away (laughs) but uh those are the best sound guys because they're they're just as engaged in the performance as as you are and that i I love it when i see uh that we've got that that from keith keith seiler i think keith uh, who ran sound in in sherwood i mean sorry sherman at the sherman celtic (laughs) festival um and also our was it for rich lee yeah uh, who ran sound uh, one of the days we were at the uh, Kima Celtic Festival. Down yeah, Kima I, I've, I've known I've known Richie since the Pig and Whistle days, my first days in Houston, and uh, again the laser focus and just never blinking. It mm-hmm. seems like just never blinks, and he knows every single section of the and uh, just just the, the, you know the, the monitors will change if you see the if you see the singer kind of struggling over the monitors change and more vocals come in or less vocal, whatever needed. It's just, it's a, it's a complete, just, it's just an incredible, it's a performance. And the, the, the guys from Rat Ranch would have told you back in the day, uh, Richie Lee ran sound for Rat Ranch up until last year, 
the, you know, the biggest, the biggest, you know, cover band in Houston with, you know, you know, without a doubt. Um, but they would, they would tell you their fifth member was Richie. I mean, and just that, that's how, that's how it was. Cause he, he was as big as a, I mean, they were constantly, uh, being accused of playing to tape. Um, <laughs> but yeah. their sound was so good. And Richie would, you know, watching him set the PA up and run sound all night was, was, was uh, as impressive as what the Rat Ratch guys did. Yeah. So I was really lucky early on, uh, when I was in the change, one of the very first shows we played was at Fitzgerald's. Uh, we did a battle of the bands thing at Fitzgerald's, um, both, and those shows were upstairs on the upstairs stage and also downstairs at what, at what was called Zelda's at the time. And on, at Zelda's back in those days, this was 1988. I want to say through 1990, 91, maybe 92. There was a guy down there named Trip Sutherland who I didn't even realize how good we had it with Trip back then. And Joe and Melchick were just reminiscing about Trip not too long ago on Facebook. Trip was just, just a total pro. And like I said, laser focused on the show just like joe is and uh he would sit there and mix the whole show and add little touches here and there a little touch of reverb you know make sure that you had enough monitor and all that stuff and yeah he he was he was the best and uh so i didn't but at the time we, we were so new to what we're doing we you know we didn't realize how good he was until later when you start working with people who very clearly do not know what they're doing and they just don't have a sense of of uh what a sound guy is supposed to do um. Uh, so, in case you're wondering, Chad has asked online if there was any questions that we uh, that uh, anybody was that w- wanted to ask us, and and just and just for the record, um, people have asked, you know, when is Mike and Wes coming on? Well, we are that we're in the process of doing that. We have to um, find a day that uh, Wes gets out of bed and uh, another day that Mike finds pants. <laughs> so we uh, no, just uh, we we are working on um, getting a, uh, a an interface to where they can call in. Chad is uh, good enough to come over to my house, so uh, so uh, I don't have to um, scare the neighbors and leave the house. And so so we record at my house, and but we are going to have Mike and Wes join us um, online to, to where they can call in and we can you know record this thing. It's just a with the with the with the gear we're using right now which we're we're uh and another thing is to uh in the coming weeks we're going to uh record a couple of podcasts with with paul yeah uh, with paul bb from bb gun studios uh and just some other friends of ours too i, I i've talked about rat ranch uh i, I want to get our friend kent newman in here um uh, just, just on you know, a second ago we were talking about Richie Lee and Rat Ranch back in the day. I mean, they were one of the first bands that and and friends that I had made here in in Houston. And uh, so I've known Kent for a, for a long, long time. We're still friends, believe it or not. But I, I want to get Kent on here. I think that uh, Kent is one of the uh, he 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 could do stand up comedy without a question. But. Kent's knowledge of the Houston music scene and working in clubs. I just, I, w- I, I want to get him on here. I want to give him a cup of cups of coffee and just let him go. I, I, I really, I want, oh, and, and I didn't mention too, he's, he's um, uh, easily one of my favorite guitar players in town. So 
Uh, he, you know, he plays in a country band, um, Shotgun Avenue, uh, Shotgun Cul-de-sac, uh, <laughs> Shotgun uh, Traffic Circle. Uh, I forget the name. No, he's uh, Shotgun Road. Just kidding. And uh, he plays in another um, 70s arena rock band called Diamond Jack. Uh, but I want to get him on here, caffeinate him to hell, and I think it'll be one of the yeah. one of the m- most entertaining, you know, times that you'll have listening to to one of these podcasts. I think so. Moving on, uh, one of our new Patreon supporters named David uh, wrote to us recently and was asking advice on on. Uh, he says what well, he just recently started learning bass. Uh, he's in his early early forties. He says, what, what would you recommend for me to make gains in my ability at such an older age, but be able to effectively play? or improve with other musicians. I already I already replied to him in a private message, but well, uh, just in general, I mean, uh, there's no age that's old. Exactly. There's that's the first thing I said. Yeah. Oh, it is. Damn it. <laughs> well, I just said yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter how how quote unquote late you start, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's you, you're going to see if you you know, if you're if you're um if you're unlucky enough to find yourself at a guitar center, oh burn. If you're uh <laughs> No, it, it, you know, if you're if you're reading music posts and bands wanted and stuff like that, there's there's some in our studio. You know, you see them, and you know, uh, drummer needed for you know rock band, all original, blah blah blah. You know, twenty years or you know between the age of twenty and twenty five, or you know, I mean, yeah, you're gonna find that. But there's as far as learning, there's absolutely no 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 limit. Just, I mean, really, is no limit. Uh, our drummer Mike. He he gives lessons and he teaches as young as seven, I think, is his youngest student. But he also teaches way up. And I I know he's done he's done work with other people and he's uh, he's done trades with other people too. Uh, but you know, to, to people older than me, which is you know essentially like trying to uh, you know teach a mummified. Um, you know, but you know, he, he teaches all ages and there are a couple of things to keep in mind too. When, when you're, when you're in, in my, I never took a lesson, but I would, I, I mean, if I had it all to do again, I would absolutely do, do lessons. No question. Yeah. Um, but I would do it in person. The nice thing about, you know, we're talking about technology and how it's, you know, advanced, you can do Skype lessons. However, I would start with personal lessons be one-on-one in the thing because there's just stuff that you cannot fix yeah. when you get into it. I won't take lessons now because I'm so far gone as far, you know, as far as my style of playing, I, I don't want to teach you to laugh <laughs> at what I'm doing. Cause it, you know, it, it works for me and it's, you know, I've done it for you, but you, you must sit down with somebody if you want to learn and, um, and go through that, J- just get the fundamentals down, get the, get your foundation yeah. laid. And then you're, th- th- then you can do Skype lessons and Skype is just it's tremendous because you're you know the comfort of your own home and you work at your own speed and whatnot but it's just i i wouldn't you know the the tool is there to to use however i'm i don't like to bring i, I don't like to, to to sit on the computer i don't like to sit <laughs> so i like the one-on-one if you know yeah. if I, but at the same time it's just wonderful to have that because everybody's working everybody's got you know you know a, you know a million things to do a day so it's nice to have that luxury of sitting with a computer and getting mm-hmm. that stuff done online and whatnot. But, um, I, lessons are absolutely vital. Uh, but, and, and then the next thing you have to do is if you can find somebody that's in and around your, 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 your ability, play with them, mm-hmm. play as much as you can with other musicians. And yeah. if you can, you know, the, it's, it's always best to surround yourself with better musicians because it will 
drag you up. It will pull you up. It will better, you, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, the, the betterment of your uh, abilities will be, you know, it's not going to be instantaneous, but, you know, you, you'll quickly mm-hmm. rise in ability. That's yeah. Funny. Yeah. And again, you'll, you'll, you'll learn together and you'll develop a sound together. I mean, like I was saying before that, that <laughs> I, I wasn't really a bass player, in my opinion, until I started playing with Blackguards. And it's, that's, Everything I do is based around playing with the people I play in this band. Yeah, um, and, and and just also also to say when we started, Tori Hoyseth, now Tori Hoyseth McLean, mm-hmm. she uh, she, I don't want to get her into trouble, but I will. She was no, I'm just kidding. She she came in and she just without knowing it, kind of slapped us around. <laughs> you know, you know, just was able to go what? No, 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 like this and and. She had, uh, now remember, we'd already been playing. We'd been gigging, playing live shows, but she kind of came, because she's such, she was such a great player at, and is 10 times the player now that she was then, um, she was able to come in and kind of steer us into a new, or actually put us, put us in the fast lane for, you know, you know, uh, um, you know, think of it as the, the bumper cars at the, mm-hmm. at the, at the fair, you know, uh, she was able to put us on the go-kart track with actually with no rails and no, you know, no, yeah. no, no track. Even we were just able to just go. So you're in these, and it was, it was full throttle and it was fine. You know, a lot of stuff we played, we played way, 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 you know, uh, uh, higher tempos and shorter and fast. And it was just, it, but then, you know, playing in pubs all the time and playing, God, I'm beelining the crap out of this, <laughs> but uh, playing in the clubs, you, you know, you realize that you have to, use your gears you have to be able to slow down and you have to give them a break and you have to have a little dancey thing in there and little you know and unless you're doing a 30 minute set then you know good luck we'll you know 30 minutes we can absolutely destroy destroy your concept of live music in that amount of time so um yeah get out of that one small <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I didn't take i didn't take a whole lot of lessons early on either myself um but i did take enough that I mean, it was it was really useful for me. The house training, potty training. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But when I was first learning guitar, anyway, I mentioned in an earlier episode. You know, my mom bought me a guitar for Christmas, and I didn't know how to tune it. I didn't know how to string it. I didn't know how to play any chords. So I learned some of the basic stuff from a a, a little songbook, a Beatles songbook that my mom bought me. Um, but beyond that, I really didn't know what the hell I was doing. Thank you, Judy. And yeah, and um, I also have to give credit my dad. The next year bought me my second guitar as well. And he also, I was, I was, I was, I'm trying to think who bought me my first lessons. There was a guy named Ray, blanking on his last name. Yeah, was, that's right. It was my, my stepmom at the time, Lynn, who actually bought me my first lessons. With this guy named Ray, who actually turned out was, uh, he was teaching classes at my school as well. So I wound up having lessons with him at school before I actually went and had one-on-one lessons with him later. But he was an amazing guitar player. But he was really good at, he, uh, starting off in the class that we took at school, he would encourage us to bring in t- uh, tapes of songs that we wanted to learn. And that was when I first le- saw somebody just playing by ear. And I, seeing, witnessing that, uh, I think, was really useful for me early on because that, that wound up being how I have learned most of what I do is by ear. Patrick as well. We both, 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 of the, both Patrick and I have a pretty quick ear. So it's, it doesn't take us long to, um, to get on the same page with whatever it is we're trying to do. A mic as well. But um, we bring in a tape to, for for Ray, and he'd listen to it. And go, oh yeah, here you go, and he'd show me. He'd show us exactly what the chords were, 
And he says, what it might be easier if you voice it this way. And he would show us all the different ways you could voice a chord and that type of thing. Um, but also learning, you know, where you put your fingers and proper hand position and that type of thing is, can be really useful early on because, uh, if you don't know, <laughs> if you start off on the wrong foot, uh, then you're going to have to wind up retraining yourself later, which is actually what I did with bass because, uh, my hand technique on bass initially was a little awkward, not necessarily my hand position on the fret board, but where my fingers were, uh, for plucking the strings was, uh, not exactly right. <laughs> I was going to say, and also too, if 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 it if it is your objective to perform, and it's not everybody's goal, I understand that some people just the last thing they ever want to do is get on stage. But if you do have any, even just a, an inkling of a of a thought that maybe you might want to perform, do it as soon as possible. Uh, I would encourage you to just throw yourself in the fire, even just be brave enough to fail, um, because chances are every show you play is not going to be the greatest. You're not always going to it's not going to be like carnegie hall every show and you've got to just got to be okay with that <laughs> as early as possible because every time you go out there you're like oh man that didn't go so well but you know what you're going to learn say so here's what i did wrong and you can go back the next time and make it better but but you still be i i think you'll surprise yourself i i did my very first performance in high school uh was in front of <laughs> in front of dozens of people i i didn't even know as all my friends well my friends and their parents and friends of their parents and stuff at the school function where I just kind of agreed to play the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Fine. And I went up there and played one song and it was, it was absolutely horrifying, but it was, uh, once I got over that hurdle, you know, the rest of it becomes easier over time. And it's not like you never stop being nervous. We talked about it on the show too. Nervousness is always as part of being a good performer because you wind up, you wind up channeling that energy into your performance. But uh, the sooner that you push yourself over that hurdle, the better. Don't wait until you're, you know, be as ready as you can can be. But don't keep putting it off to the point where it just never happens, you know. And some people, I understand, for some people, that's really, really tough uh, to do that. Yeah. Well, and bass players and drummers, you know, um, speaking directly to David, you know, as to, to start, you don't even need a full band. You can get together with a drummer, which I would, I would do first. Because if you're not familiar with how the drums are going and you're not familiar with how to play with a drummer, you're going to flail on stage. And there's nothing worse than seeing a band, you know, with a, with a, you know, a good drummer and a good bass player, but they're not in sync. They're not playing together. They're not, you know, locking in. This, musicians might call it in the pocket. Um, but a drummer and the bass player are the rhythm section. No question. And just, you know, there's, you know, un un unless it's, Unless it's uh, art rock, you know, or math rock, you know, like jazz or so, you know, to, to where they can go off and, you know, go off in different directions and come back. I mean, you just, you need to lock in. And if you can get together with a drummer, that's a little bit better than you. As a bass player, that will set your, that will change your life and you'll, but you'll go home knowing what your, what your end goal is going to be. Because there's, there's never a, there's never, I, I think the worst musician on the planet will be somebody that's, that thinks that they know everything and they're good at everything and they don't need to rehearse and they don't need to, um, the, 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 the reason why I say play with a drummer is because our friend Matt Johnson, who is arguably the best drummer in Houston, one of them, he, he always said that, that, you know, these award shows that, or these awards ceremonies and whatnot that, you know, best bass player, best drummer that that should be one category that should be a rhythm section uh prize because absolutely you know if you got a 
and again, you know, we're talking taste here. You know, you can't put, you know, it, it's difficult to put, to put music, in, you know, bands into one genre and what, but, but a rhythm section, if they're, if it's a good rhythm section, I saw Dennis Chambers play with Steely Dan and I about never wanted to see music. I didn't want to hear music again. They were so good and they're just so Oh, it looked like mind reading. It looked like they had been to the future and back again. And they were just, they were just, they were just embarrassing me. I just watching how good they were. But a drummer and a bass player, your language, your rhythm, your time together is absolutely just, it's absolutely crucial. You need, mm-hmm. you, just like you do in any trade, you need hours on stage. You need thousands of hours on stage before you can be you know, the Steve Harris, Nick McBrain or the, you know, the rhythm section that absolutely lights a fire that just, even if you don't like the music, if you can listen to how they play, it's second to none and it will change your life. And it will also, it's, it's the most fun that you can have outside of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. That's just all there is to it. There is, you know, rhythm section and, and it's the most important thing, but yeah, practice and play with people the second you can. Yeah. And also play with people, but make sure they're playing with you too. <laughs> That that's uh, not the worst thing, but it can be really frustrating if you're playing with somebody who who is not really listening uh, to what you're doing, and uh, you both need to be in tune. Uh, and that's you'll you'll figure that out early on. But sometimes, if you make a transition from playing with one person who's not quite on the same wavelength as you to another person who is, it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, here we go. And um, and I I don't want to slag any of the drummers that we played with before. I could, <laughs> but when when Mike came in. It was that to me is when I was finally able to relax and kind of become the bass player I am now. And I'm still learning. I, I, I hope I never stop learning all of us anyway. But uh, uh, Mike and I actually listened to each other. And that was something that, that uh, I didn't always have. And part of it was just we, we just went through so many different drummers. A lot of them weren't really around long enough for a language to develop. Most None of them were, frankly. Uh, but Mike was was... Not only did he just gel with us right off the bat, just personally and musically, but he 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 was dedicated, <laughs> fully dedicated to this from from day one, and that that helped kind of set the stage for uh, you know for for a real sound and language and uh, uh, chemistry to develop. Yeah, like we said earlier, we'll get them on here. They can yeah they can rebut all this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe that covers it. And who else? Who else? What are the questions we got? Well, uh, Sonia asked, "Will leather pants ever make a comeback?" Yes, yes, they're going to be actually. Leather pants are going to be mandatory as soon as it gets to uh, as soon as we get above ninety degrees. It's going to be absolutely <laughs> mandatory, especially in the outdoor gigs. But yes, and, and Julio also asked, uh, uh, "Can we get an acoustic cover of, of Baby One More Time?" What's that? Britney Spears song. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, Julio, you're gonna have to come over for that. Yeah. You, know, you know the address six 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 Acacia <laughs> Avenue. Come on, see what he did there. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we're going to be playing at Ashford Pub this this Saturday. But before that, and before that, we're going to be downtown. Very same day, April twentieth. We're going to be downtown at Discovery Green in downtown Houston. Going to be lots of fun. It's going to be free all ages event uh, that runs from I think ten thirty to five in the afternoon. We're going to be playing right around eleven a.m. Eleven a.m. Oh my yeah. god! And uh, not going to be a very long set, so don't be late. 
but there's gonna be lots of stuff going on all afternoon. So even if you show up late, you'll still have fun. But, uh, and then that evening we'll be at uh, Ashford pub, uh, around nine thirty. Nine o'clock. Nine o'clock. We're going to start early. We're going to start earlier. Yep. Okay. You heard it here first. All uh, right. Anything else? Um, I, I think what we should do is, I think what we should, uh, uh, we'll be back at BB Gun Studios here pretty quick. I, I'd like to get a clip from Paul and uh, put some stuff up, you know, post some stuff. Oh, like a that, rough mix? From yeah. That? Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Just uh, just get some stuff from him this week. So, uh, awesome. So yeah, we got, you know, a lot of stuff going on and uh, I guess uh, um, I better go uh, put some pants on if uh, Julio's going to show up. <laughs> Yeah, and there's going to be lots of, I'm going to be posting a ton of new show dates this week, too. There's lots of shows coming up in the Houston area. We've got Katie, we've got Spring, we've got um, Cypress. I'm trying to think, there's, oh, no, there's the archery thing, right? Yes, the Sherwood, Sherwood Archery Festival. That's in a couple of weeks. That's in, Yeah, that's going to be, I, I can't believe how much fire that's caught. Um, yeah, Sherwood, Sherwood in McDade County, just outside Austin. Um, yeah, we're doing, a, we're doing the, the Friday and the Sunday, and we're going to be doing a few, a few sets per day. So uh, that's going to be, that's going also our pirate festival. The pirate festival in July is that talk about catching fire. Uh, our drunken monkey privateers have absolutely, uh, they've just gone nuts on their advertising for this. And it looks, looks really, really, really good. There's a, uh, uh, all the VIP tickets have sold out. There's still room for vendors. If you're, uh, if you want to uh, come and sell, there um we'll post the information for that and also evermore there's a festival just outside yes. of lufkin we're uh we're doing a two-day festival up in um just outside of lufkin um if you're familiar with texas then you know where lufkin is if you're not familiar with texas lufkin is kind of east texas but kind of uh it's just it's north, north of houston and it's um uh they are putting on, tr- on a tremendous lineup so that's fun for all the family and all ages and we're going to do a little day show and then we're going to do our full show for for the night time so yeah that's uh that is uh may 4th and 5th evermore and they aren't there sherwood uh the archery festival at sherwood is actually uh next week that's uh that's right it is next april 26 and I think we're in march still yeah damn it so this we're fixed we had april's been kind of a laid back month but we're we're fixing to get busy here really soon and we're not going to have much of a break for the rest of the year which is which is great I don't mind that at all. Excellent. Well, think, thank you for your questions and uh, thanks for listening. We're, we're really, really happy to, to report that the response has been great. Yeah. And uh, without, uh, without Chad working his ass off on this thing, it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen. So uh, yeah, thanks everybody. <laughs> thank you. And thank you, Greg, for the new table. We'll see you next week. Ciao.